Hello and welcome to The Double Double. My name is David Dixon and hopefully this will be the last solo podcast I do for a while. Uh, Sorry for a little bit of a delay. We've been had a super busy week, got a lot of tests and presentations and stuff and the start of the, the hoop season, so dialing into practice and focusing on that. But that also doesn't mean that the NFL stops just because I get busy. So good NFL stuff this past weekend. Pats-Ravens was a very good game. And looking forward to this week, there's a lot of good football in that the college football this weekend is going to be exceptional. Uh, there's going to be there's a couple of good NFL games as well, but the college football is what I'm going to highlight really more in depth. If you're looking for good football games to watch, Vikings Cowboys Sunday night is going to be a good one. See if Kirk Cousins can win when the lights are on. He can't, or I shouldn't say can't. He's struggled a lot with games against winning teams. So it'll be interesting to see how he does on the road. Sunday night football against the Cowboys. And Monday night seems like the first really good Monday night football game in forever. Seahawks at 49ers. You got the 77-2 Seahawks, who might just be one of the best teams in the whole NFL, against the undefeated San Francisco 49ers, led by Jimmy G and Coach Kyle Shanahan. And just an incredible defense. So that's the one that if you had to really plan out your week and plan out your weekend, that's the game that I would want to see the most. The undefeated division battle, uh, that one should be really, really good. So, but first, we got to talk a little NBA hoops and finish up the preview of the season with my top five players in the league. Because then once this is done, we're getting enough of a sample size now where we can start talking about actual games where actual things are happening. Because there's been a lot of developments, but I also want to get a little more of a sample because the first five to ten games, teams are trying out a lot of things, rotations, guys aren't fully back from injuries, guys are getting hurt. So there's a lot of changes going on and before we really dive into it I just want to have a little more uh, game action to talk about but without further ado here is my top five uh, for those who might have missed the last episode my I broke down my top 10 with the first five so numbers going from 10 to six we went from Westbrook at 10 Nikola Jokic at nine Damian Lillard at eight Anthony Davis at seven, and James Harden at six. So, number five, just what I was talking about with guys with injuries, Steph Curry. So, Steph Curry last year scored 27.3 points a game. He had five rebounds, five assists, only just under three turnovers, shot 44% from three on high-volume attempts, 47 from the field, and 92 from the line. Now, it seems kind of crazy to talk about why Steph Curry deserves to be on this list as he has revolutionized basketball with his shooting ability. The whole three-point revolution, he's been the face of that just with the way he can shoot off the dribble and from so far away. 
he is maybe the greatest shooter ever. Now, the, the some of the greatest shooters in previous eras never got to showcase or have as much freedom as he has. So there might have been some better shooters, but just with the way he can shoot off the bounce, coming off screens, seemingly when he's out of control, but he's actually fully in control, is what makes Steph Curry Steph Curry. And he's one of the two faces of the league. LeBron is the face, but then the number two guy is Steph Curry. There's been a bunch of years in the last four or five years, this whole Warriors dynasty, where Steph Curry was the top-selling jersey in the whole league. So he's extremely popular. You go to any summer camp, kids aren't shouting out LeBron. They're not shouting out Kobe. when They they all want to shoot a three and shout out Steph or Curry. So he's inspiring the kids out there. The outlook for this season now, he just broke his wrist, uh, so he'll be out for about three months. I have my doubts he'll return at all this season. It seems like the Warriors are really going through an overhaul of just their whole team. I don't want to say identity, but just their team of, you could tell those five years are wearing guys out, and they're going to lose a lot of games this year. And who knows? Some people are comparing it to the Spurs where David Robinson goes down and all of a sudden the Spurs win the lottery after winning 15-ish games that year and they get Tim Duncan. I don't know who that player is for this draft. It could be Cole Anthony. It could be Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman. But there's a chance that Steph doesn't come back this year just out of self-caution and just a chance to rest and get ready for next year because five straight years of the finals is... You're basically going from September to June, and I and he had the summer, and I think he had one USA Basketball summer in there. He might have not had any, but either way, that's basically very, very limited offseason, five straight years in a row, and that's a grind on not just him, but Draymond, obviously Clay, Kevon Looney, Steve Kerr, anyone over there. So it's a bummer because he had a really had a chance to dominate the league this year by maybe scoring 35 a game and just going one-on-one the whole time. But, hey, we'll have to have to wait till next year and try to enjoy some, some of the other stars in the league. Number four, Steph Curry's former teammate, who's also battling an injury this year, Kevin Durant. Now, I know what people are thinking. Kevin Durant at four, that's crazy. Don't turn off the, the podcast left. Don't crash a car. He's only at number four because of his ruptured Achilles. We don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. So I'm just saying with his ruptured Achilles, not playing this year, he's still number four. If he wasn't hurt, he would probably be number one and at the lowest number two. But because of his injury, he's at number four. And so last year, 26 a game, six rebounds, six assists, three turnovers. Like Steph, if if him or Steph played in a system without each other, without as many good players, those scoring numbers would probably be a lot better. Justin, or maybe, maybe not a lot better because they're still really efficient, but maybe have a chance to score more points. But just because they're playing with such good players, they have to share the ball, share the opportunities. Now, just like Steph, he's on the list, best player in the world when he's healthy, impossible to guard. He is a unicorn. He was really like the first unicorn. He's a two-time NBA champion, two-time finals MVP, won an MVP. And he's kind of revolutionized the game of basketball. You hear me say that a lot because 
everyone now is looking for that seven-footer with true guard skills. And Giannis is the closest thing to him, just in terms of size and ability to play the perimeter. But Durant can actually shoot like the best shooters of all time. And that's the next step for a lot of these other guys. Or like a Porzingis type or a bent, you know, Christos Porzingis, who's super huge and can shoot, but he can't put the ball on the deck the way Durant can or guard ones and twos. So Durant might be the most unique player to ever play the game of basketball. A legit seven foot two guard who might be a top eight player when it's all said and done. Outlook for the season should not, and I think it's been announced, he will not play a single game for Brooklyn this year as he recovers from his ruptured Achilles. I totally agree with that. He needs to get fully healthy. He should have no pressure to come back. The Nets have one of the best performance staffs, one of the best training staffs in the whole NBA. So he's in very, very good hands there. And just adjust to life in New York City, settle in, get his business interests in line, and just get his body healthy and ready to compete for next season with Kyrie. And just to reiterate, if he wasn't hurt, he'd be number one or number two on this list. Number three, LeBron James. LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. Last year, he averaged 27, 8, and 8 with just over three and a half turnovers. But it was kind of a down year. Did not make the playoffs after eight straight trips to the finals. Didn't make the playoffs. And didn't really seem that happy basketball-wise in Los Angeles. The business stuff went well. He got Space Jam going, Space Jam 2. He got the shop on HBO going. He got a lot of his business stuff, and he's seemingly really enjoying Los Angeles. His kid, Bronny's at Sierra Canyon. Looks like they're playing one of the best high school teams in the country. But it didn't seem like he meshed well with the young guys on the team. Didn't really like the teammates. Didn't really like Coach Walton. He got fired and kind of forced Anthony Davis to join. So... It was definitely a weird year for LeBron. He kind of got blamed for a lot of things, showing up to the arena with red wine when he got hurt. And he's getting old now. Not old, old, but this is year 17 in the league. And that means he's going to be turning 35 this year. He's still got a lot of uh, wear and tear, and he needs to start playing less minutes. It's really hard to take the greatest basketball player ever out of games when he looks so good but they got to be thinking about the long haul and making sure he's at his best in may and june to compete against the clippers the rockets the jazz the nuggets i don't even really know if i need to explain why he's on the list he is legitimately in the greatest of all time consideration He's revolutionized basketball by starting the player empowerment era by taking his talents to South Beach in the summer of 2010. And he still controls the whole league and is the face of the NBA. The NBA world still revolves around LeBron. So his outlook is really interesting. He's never played with anyone who's as good as Anthony Davis. But LeBron has been the best player on every team he's played on since he was probably 12 years old or younger. He's saying they're going to ride Anthony Davis and Davis is going to be the top option. But is he really going to let Davis be the top option? Is he really going to do it? 
it's been 25-ish years of him being number one alpha male, alpha dog on the team. Is he, is, is he going to give up control when things get tough or in the playoffs? I just want to see it. I think he will, but I just want to see it. Can he play hard for a whole season and not coast? When he was in Cleveland that the last two years, he had an on-off switch. He started the season really strong like he is now. Then he turns the switch off just after Christmas and coasts basically through All-Star into halfway through March. And then he revs it back up for the playoffs. And it's, can, can he play a full season hard? You can load manage all you want, LeBron, but you can't be out there playing 36 minutes and not trying on defense and blaming your teammates and being really passive-aggressive because that stuff is going to hurt this team. And it's going to hurt the image that we all have of him. Just play fewer minutes and play harder. Play fewer games, but play super hard like you're doing right now. He's also been has struggled with different coaches in his career. Frank Vogel, first-year coach, how will he mesh with him? Jason Kidd is the assistant. Is he really there for just to be like the associate head coach for one year. Like if LeBron and Vogel don't mesh, is they just going to fire him and they have they, they lose two or three in a row and Jason Kidd's going to be the head coach? I want to see what happens with Vogel. And the most important thing is, can he win his fourth championship? It would be his third team to win one with. Winning with the Lakers would be huge for his legacy because it puts him in the league of Kobe Bryant and Magic Johnson and Kareem and Wilt who are able to win with them. So I'm really looking forward to it. The Lakers are really, really talented, really good. A lot of questions, but they've been proving it so far this year that they're playing really good basketball. Number two, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the reigning league MVP. He averaged 27.7 points. Over 12 and a half rebounds, almost six assists, and three and a half turnovers in 2018. As I said, reigning league MVP, the easily the best player in the Eastern Conference. And I think he has a chance to be one of the 15 best players ever when it's all said and done. And I know that seems crazy, but he's basically 6'11, 7 feet tall. He's winning league MVPs without a reliable jump shot. He is an alien. They call him the Greek freak for a reason. Maybe one like Kevin Durant, one of the most unique body types to ever play in the league. And kind of just his outlook is over the summer, he said he was at 60% of his potential. And if he's winning MVPs at 60%, what could 100% be? What is his true ceiling? And can he take the leap with his jump shot and playmaking ability? Because his jump shot is the biggest one. Because if he can start hitting threes, even at just a respectable, doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to start shooting 45% and be the next Kyle Korver. But if he's just respectable where you kind of have to guard it, the way LeBron got to the last couple of years in Miami and, and with Cleveland, where you're still okay with him taking that shot just because he's so unstoppable. But if he can do that, then he will could win MVPs to the point where we just have to give it to someone else because we're tired of having Giannis win the award. And I want to see if he can make the finals. They came two games away last year in the Eastern Conference Finals against Toronto. They bring back almost the same team. Philly got better on paper. 
but it's them in Philly for the East, and I think Giannis has a real chance to make the finals. Number one, Kawhi Leonard. Now, I know this seems crazy, but he's the reigning finals MVP. He's the best defender in the NBA. He created load management, which is one of my favorite terms ever. Like, imagine if you went in and told your boss, hey, you know, I'm not going to be in today. Load management. Because I just need to take the day off and get really ready for the presentation tomorrow. Like, hey, I can't do the presentation today. I'm not feeling it. But tomorrow I'm going to really give it all my give it my all. Like, it's such a crazy concept. But anyway, he's the mercenary of the league. So last year he averages 26.5 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 3.5 turnovers for the Raptors. He gets traded from the Spurs because he's unhappy, forces his way out, gets to Toronto. Everyone knows he's basically going to be there for one year. But what does he do? He doesn't sulk. He's not unhappy because he's there. He goes out and he wins the championship. And he proves that by being the best defender, best two-way player, shuts down Giannis, dominates the Warriors, wins a second championship. First as really like the best player. Then he is a free agent. He's going to go to the Lakers. He's going to stay in Toronto. What about the Clippers? He calls up Paul George. He starts recruiting Paul George and Kevin Durant and all these guys and gets them on and finally gets basically forces, convinces Paul George to force his way out of Oklahoma City to the Clippers and forms his own super team without any leaks, without anybody knowing. And now he's formed his own super team in Los Angeles for the, for the Clippers. And if he can win there and win his third championship with a different team, one championship like like LeBron would be if he won this year, we a, a championship with three different teams, that would be incredible. It would mean like, hey, this dude can go anywhere and he can win anywhere with anyone. And if he does that, like his outlook for this year is to win that championship and prove that he runs the league. That yes, LeBron gets a lot of the credit and Giannis may be the Greek freak, but Kawhi is the silent assassin. As the best two-way player in the league, he controls it because everything revolves around him because he's going to be the toughest out in the playoffs. And the whole, like the whole point of what we do all this for and all the trade talk and all the free agency and all the draft and every crazy thing is to win the championship. And when it comes down to it, you got to go through Kawhi Leonard because in a seven-game series, he's so hard to beat that the whole the whole playoff structure runs through him. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that's my top 10. In recap, number 10, Russell Westbrook. Nine, Nikola Jokic. Eight, Damian Lillard. Seven, Anthony Davis. Six, James Harden. Five, Steph Curry. Four, Kevin Durant. Three, LeBron James. Two, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And one, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, if I forgot anyone or you have any objections, please email us at double double four zero two at gmail.com or hit us on Twitter, DBL underscore DBL podcast. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we're going to preview the college football playoff and the games this weekend. So, 
now we're going to get into football. Week 9 NFL recap. It was not a great week um, for games. Some of the games turned out pretty good. There were some other happenings, but I really only want to talk about one NFL game from this past weekend, and that was Pat's Ravens. And I wish Kelly could be on the podcast today because I owe him and every Lamar Jackson believer and fan a huge apology. Um, He is the real deal. He's the real deal. He's a legitimate, good NFL quarterback. I still wish he was a little more accurate with the football, but the way he can run, the way that offense is built around him, he's not afraid of anyone or anything. He's so confident that he's convinced me. It took him took him a while, took him almost a full full season of starting, but he's convinced me that 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 he's the guy. He's a he's a legitimate quarterback. So he proved everyone wrong. He proved me wrong. Uh, and he did it on the biggest stage. Sunday Night Football against the Pats at home. Played awesome. And just some takeaways for the Pats is that their offensive line uh, needs some work. Brady got sacked twice. They didn't run the ball very well. Uh, Brady didn't have like a lot of time to throw. So they, their line needs work. That's kind of been the weakness of the team the whole season, especially without Gronk, because Gronk was such a good blocker that they definitely need to do some more work in blocking. Hey, but this is like they've played nine games. The Pats always think about January and February, and this is all just preparation for that. So they're going to watch the film. They're going to get better. Anyone who thinks that after this that the Patriots aren't going to go still go win the Super Bowl and somehow this means that the Pats dynasty is crumbling. Oh, they finally played someone good and they lost, so it means that the Patriots aren't as good and everyone's overhyping them. You're wrong. The Patriots are still really, really good. And there's just a couple plays. The Edelman fumble, they got returned for a touchdown. There's just a couple plays where if they go the other way and they do more typical Patriots things, they win this game and they're 9-0. So I still have the Patriots going to the Super Bowl. You know, they've never won the Super Bowl when they've gone undefeated in the regular season. Shout out the 2007 Giants. So they're not that concerned about this loss. If if anything, it takes the pressure off that they don't have the undefeated season going. And I think we can all stop talking and saying that their defense is one of the best of all time. It's really, really good, but they can be scored on. You can score on this defense. It's not like the 85 bear. You don't need to be afraid of them. You can attack them and you can score on them. And I just want to shout out the Miami Dolphins. They won a game. They beat the New York Jets. Uh, I told everyone not to watch it. And it still wasn't really that good of a game. But they they won. It's official that they're not tanking. (laughs) They've won a game. Coach Flores got a Gatorade shower and he got the game ball. So just good for them. And Cincinnati, all eyes are now on you to win because you are officially now the worst team in the league. You have zero wins. And we are judged good and bad by wins. And you have zero. So you are the worst. And now I want to get into the good stuff. The good stuff is college football this weekend. So I'm recording this on on Wednesday night. Wednesday, November 6th, last night was the first iteration of the college football playoff standings. 
And for those who don't know, it's like a committee of athletic directors and former coaches and just people in the know whose whole job is to watch all the games and put together rankings based on different factors like strength of schedule and points of victory and blah, 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 blah. And this is like the official playoff ranking. So the AP poll that you've been seeing the first six or seven weeks, that's irrelevant. The coaches poll, all that stuff is irrelevant now. Every graphic you see on ESPN will use the college football playoff ranking. So if you saw a team in, in one poll and they were 10, but in the playoff they're 12, that you'll see they'll start seeing them as 12. And this is the most important because this is the poll that matters for the playoff. The top four teams in this poll will make the college football playoff. And the committee ranked the teams in the following way. Number one was Ohio State, two LSU, three Alabama, four Penn State, five Clemson, six Georgia. So just my immediate reaction, I personally think that LSU has been the best team in the country. They have the two best wins. They won at Texas, and they beat Auburn. Ohio State hasn't really played anyone yet. Uh, they have a couple big games coming up. Obviously, the big one against, against Michigan Thanksgiving weekend. They have Maryland this weekend. They should dominate them. But the big games that they have coming up are really just Penn State and Michigan because they got Maryland and Rutgers. They should dominate those two games, stay at number one, and then that sets up that Penn State game as the spot for the playoff. Penn State has Minnesota this weekend where if Minnesota wins that game and they go to 9-0, and I could see Minnesota jumping up into the top eight of the next round of the college football playoff. But you got to give credit to Ohio State. They have dominated who they've had to dominate. They've won the games that they've had to win. They took it to Wisconsin, just dominated Wisconsin. And, and I take it back, they haven't played anyone. They played Wisconsin and crushed them, just absolutely crushed them. So they've been number one. I still think that Texas and Auburn are better wins than Wisconsin and Michigan. So, you know, but hey, LSU's two. That's all right. Alabama at three. Makes sense. They've, you know, haven't really played anyone like Clemson. They haven't played. They still have, like, Alabama and Clemson have had the same best wins of Texas A&M. But, you know, the committee is, it might just be some fatigue of those two teams of, oh, we got to deal with them again. We got to put them there again. Like, people won't be happy if they're number one. Like, Ohio State is new. It's fresh. They're, they're number one. And LSU's number two because they haven't been there in a while. So good for them and excited to see where that goes going forward because we have the game of I'll, – I'll talk about the, the, the game coming up at LSU-Alabama this weekend. has a lot of interesting factors that could determine how the whole college football playoff standings go going forward. I believe that Clemson is at number five is being punished because the ACC isn't very good. Like Clemson's, the expectation of Clemson is that they're going to go out and beat every team by 65 points and that Trevor Lawrence is not going to throw an incompletion and the defense is going to get a sack every play and that they're going to dominate, 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 dominate. And what they're proving is that they are a team of 18 to 22-year-olds. And you know what 18 to 22-year-olds do? 
they sometimes don't come out ready to play. Sometimes, you know, they're a little tired. They're just a really hard group to predict. So they had a very close win against North Carolina. Okay, they had a close win against North Carolina. They still won the game. They're still going to win the ACC and be 13-0 or 14-0. Like, all the people who are freaking out because Clemson is 5, this is the first ranking. If Clemson is 14-0 and undefeated and wins the ACC and dominating everyone, they'll be in the playoff. It doesn't matter what number they are in the playoff. You just have to be in the playoff. And so they're going to be in. So all these Clemson fans on Twitter and on TV and everything, calm down, take a deep breath, and just remember, this: the first poll doesn't matter. It's like any other ranking. The only ranking that matters is the last one. It's the last round of the playoffs that proves if you're going to be in or not. Now time for the fun uh, what-ifs. So... Georgia being number six means that they are ready to pounce on if LSU or Alabama loses going forward. Here we go. Because this is, this is a little complicated. So Georgia's 7-1, and one, and they lost to South Carolina, which is a bad loss. But they beat Florida and Notre Dame, which are two really good wins. They have Auburn coming up at Auburn. If they can beat Auburn and be one loss going into the play going into the SEC championship game because they beat Florida they're going to they're in first place they if they win out there they're in the SEC championship let's say that Alabama or LSU loses a game going into that SEC championship and Georgia wins the SEC what happens Georgia, one loss conference champion, wins over Florida and Notre Dame. Do they get in? And let's say LSU has wins against Texas and Auburn, and let's say that they beat Alabama and lose to Georgia in the SEC championship. So they'll have wins against Texas, Auburn, Bama, but lost to Georgia. Are they going to get in? I still, you know, I think that they get in. What if Alabama beats LSU and beats Auburn? but loses to Georgia. Are they going to get in? Are we going to have two SEC teams again? Or was the backlash last year where it was two SEC teams, or not last year, sorry, two years ago, going to hurt them and only get one in? Because LSU and Alabama are two of the four best teams in the country. And I don't care how you slice it. As of now, they're two of the four best teams in the country. They should be in the playoffs. But that's why we love college football and the whole college football playoff system is because it is crazy. The chaos just makes it so fun and so enjoyable that we all are just wanting crazy things to happen and making these impossible scenarios. We can talk and we can debate and have these great podcasts and car conversations and water cooler talks all about who should be in the playoff. Because if they're all one loss teams it will make it really fun and really exciting. But if, you know, if LSU goes undefeated and you're really just talking about Bama or Georgia, okay, it's still fun. Bama, Georgia, Penn State, maybe Oklahoma. Because if they win the Big 12, are are you really going to say that they're not in it? That they're not going to be number five or number six, one loss? You know, the, the one loss Oklahoma team? So 
The playoff is coming. Chaos is coming. Now we're getting to the games where it's going to be in the rivalry season, where you're going to get bigger and bigger games, where we're going to get a lot of answers because we're going to see top teams play top teams. And that's what we'll see where the committee will rank these teams and what happens and who wins and, and who loses. So the first huge, 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 huge game this weekend. Before I get into it, there's the other really big one is Penn State, Minnesota, undefeated, undefeated in the Big 12. That game is at 12 on ABC. It's at Minnesota. So that will be a great game. I don't know who's going to win. But that's going to be super, super exciting. It's going to be hard to leave the couch on Saturday. But the but the game of the week, game of the week, is LSU against Alabama. This may be the game of the decade. You have Joe Burrow. You have versus Tua, Tua Tagovailoa. Maybe the two best quarterbacks in the country. Heisman moment versus Heisman moment. It will help both of their cases to win this game. Both of them have been dominating the regular season, dominating the SEC, and could be also competing in the springtime when they leave these their respective schools for the number one pick in the NFL draft. And I cannot wait. These games are always the best, always low scoring, great defenses. But this year, it's the offenses for both these teams that are so good. And it's a real chance when you talk about matchups of – you have the LSU secondary led by Grant Delpit and their DBU and all and you know they they're known for their great defense. Their secondary is really good, and you have the Alabama wide receivers led by Jerry Judy. Of who's going to take advantage and who's going to win that matchup? Traditionally, you know people think great defense beats great offense. Defense wins championships. Blah blah blah. But a lot of times you don't have two or Joe Burrow throwing throwing them the ball. So that will be really exciting to see. I really hope Tua plays. He's still coming back from that ankle injury. And then you got the coaches. You got Nick Saban, first coach O of 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 LSU. Just two of the best coaches in the whole country. Saban, how many championships does this guy need to win before people just call him the greatest of all time? Incredible recruiter. And then you got Coach O, who's coming up. He's as I've talked about before, he's taking a lot of, I don't think he's gotten enough credit that he deserves this year for how he's sacrificed a lot of himself in the, in that he has, you know, given a lot of responsibility to other coaches and he understands what he's good at. He's understands what he's not so good at. And it's leading to the success that LSU has had. So huge props to him, a lot of credit to him. But it's a, it's a great coaching matchup. It's not just great on the field, but it's great coaches, recognizable coaches. And my prediction, even though the game is in Tuscaloosa, I just think that with the uncertainty about Tua, don't know where he's at health-wise, I got Alabama 24, LSU 27. It should be a tremendous game, fantastic all the way around. But I think LSU just has a little bit more this year than Alabama. And I think LSU goes in and wins. But nothing would surprise me this this weekend in Tuscaloosa. So that'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. 
uh, check back in next week. Hopefully, Kelly will be back to break down these great college football games. So take care and make it a great day.